You're listening to a special edition of Customer Experience Insights. I'm your host, Scott Nagel. I lead our consultant relations program here at Genesis as part of our influencer marketing team. This is the first in a four-part series of podcasts where we explore the new book, Empathy in Action, written by Genesis CEO Tony Bates and Dr. Natalie Petahoff. Each podcast will feature an industry influencer as they engage with Natalie on key topics from this new book. Adrian Swinsco joins us for today's podcast, and you'll hear us discuss highlights from his recent article about the book that's featured on Forbes.com. The title, How to Put Empathy into Action in Your Customer Experience. Before we kicked off the interview and had Adrian and Natalie introduce themselves, we got into a brief discussion on why some people shouldn't buy the book. I want to share that discussion with you first. All right, tell us why you shouldn't buy this book. God, thank you so much. Yeah, normally you wouldn't think an author would say, don't read my book, right? But I'm really serious about this, Scott and Adrian, and here's why. I'm really on a mission to change things and create what I would say would be a customer and employee respect movement. So if you're not interested, please don't read the book. How about you, Adrian? You know what? What she said. Um, (laughs) And I think because you know what? It just completely surprises me sometimes how I talk about this. It's this this. It's a gap between rhetoric and actual activity and how disconnected people are from their customers and their employees. And it reminds me of a show that I really like called Undercover Boss. It's probably like my guilty pleasure, right? Yes. And it, I always find it, it's like people see this, they watch it all over the world, different places, and how bosses and execs are just aghast at some of the things that go on. And you're like, and you wonder why? And it strikes me as this thing that's like, there's this, I call it in the latest book I wrote, the Punk XL one, I put this thing called this, it's called the Pi phenomenon, it's P-I-E. And what it's based on this idea is like, as apparently as power and influence increases, empathy often falls. And we can see that play out in this undercover kind of like boss. Now, if you don't want to be that guy, then don't read the book or read the book other way, whichever way you figure it out sort of thing. It's like, and if you can, if you're all about power and influence, then empathy is probably not for you. But if you're about results and outcomes and doing the right thing and doing that in customer and employee respect that Natalie talks about, then you should definitely buy it. But if it's not for you, then buy it and give it to somebody else who might be up for it. That's what I would say. That's great. Thank you. All right. I hope you enjoyed that. Now here's our interview. We are so excited to have both of you on our podcast. Let's start off if each of you could tell us about yourself and what you do. And we're going to start with you, Adrian. So, hey, Scott. So, my name is Adrian Swinsko. First of all, I just want to say thank you for inviting me on to the podcast. It's an absolute pleasure to talk to you and obviously to talk to Natalie, who is our kind of superstar of the day. But me, I am a, I'm an author. I'm a Forbes contributor, I'm a speaker, I'm also a fellow podcaster, I'm also an advisor, and all these things to do with service and experience. And my work sort of falls into sort of two buckets. On the one bucket, I work with brands sort of directly to help them, I guess, solve service and experience related issues, like as an embedded advisor, as it were. In the second bucket, I work with sort of brands and sort of technology companies, helping them, I guess, deliver talks or do workshops or webinars or white papers or research or that sort of stuff in like in that sort of thought leadership sort of space. And the two things sort of feed each other. So in short, I get paid to do stuff I like with people I like. Mm-hmm. That doesn't get better. We're really, really glad you're here. And Natalie, what about you? Tell us about yourself. 
well, if I told you what I did, I'd have to kill you. <laughs> no, seriously. That was back in the day when I was a rocket scientist. As of late, I see myself as a change maker. In a day-to-day -day scenario, I work with our strategic business consulting team as trusted advisors to our customers to help them start to look through this lens of empathy and to see the opportunity to not only transform the employee and customer experiences, but in the long run, what I think most business leaders are interested in is their long-term and short-term success. And so as the author of this new book with Tony Bates, our CEO, my mission is really to help companies see how to orchestrate new experiences. Very good. Well, once again, we're so excited to have both of you. So Adrian, we're going to start with you. You recently reviewed the book, Empathy in Action, and you wrote a really well-received article on Forbes. Now, in the introduction, you mentioned the need for organizations to build an empathetic musculature. Tell us what you mean by that. Well, first of all, well done on getting the word right. First time out there. It's almost an intentional sort of like tricky kind of word. And I've seen people can like stumble over that word. But empathetic musculature is, so what I was noticing, so I'm a, I'm a bit of a watcher of kind of things that, that happen in the service and experience space. And actually there was, there was some research done by Genesis. I think it was early part of 2020 that came out and it, talked about there was this, you know, illustrated this desire from customers for the need for more empathy in customer interactions. And that's interesting. So they're going to add this need for empathy has been going up the, uh, the agenda for a while. But the, the thing is, this desire, this demand is not new. It's just been seen in different ways. I mean, I know the, there was a piece of global Accenture research back in 2016, where the majority of customers around the world were bemoaning sort of humanless digital experience. You know, they were just kind of feeling like it's all quite, all quite kind of robotic or quite cold or, you know, unfamiliar, unhuman, as it were. Like I'd say that's probably a proxy for lacking in empathy. And so what's interesting for me is when we think about that, we know the importance of, of the human connection. And when this gets spotlighted, as it were, a lot of the times what happens is in organizational context is people jump into fix mode and they're like going, ah, we have to do that. So you go, empathy is required. Let's commission some training. You're like, oh, brilliant. You're like, however, that might be part of the puzzle, but it's not the whole thing. So I started thinking about well, what would it take to be able to deliver empathy at scale and sustainably across a large organization? And it made me think about marathon running because you don't wake up one day and go, I'm going to run a marathon. It requires training and it requires rest and recovery and support and diet and equipment and all these different sort of things if you're going to be able to do it in an effective sort of way. And I think the same thing is required for empathy. And that's why I coined this term, an empathetic musculature, because what we need to do is we need to think about the idea about delivering it more holistically. And we have to think about, first of all, what does empathy mean for your business? Because it's not going to be the same for every business, right? It has to be aligned, has to be appropriate, contextual, as it were. Then you have to think about what strategy, systems, processes, design, technology, leadership, and what sort of people and training you're going to need in order to help you get to that kind of like point to deliver that more empathetic interactions with your kind of customers. And then you'll be able to do it sustainably. So that's sort of what I was talking about. And the thing I loved about that is because about the book is because I've been talking about it and talking about it in loose terms, where Natalie and Tony turned around and went, actually, this is sort of what it could look like in real life. And I was like, sold. <laughs> Send me one of those. I'll have that. <laughs> That's great. Anything to add, Natalie? Yeah. So, 
You know, it was interesting, Adrian, because you and I have been in the field for a long time, and we both have been talking about the theoretical aspect of improving experiences. And when Tony and I sat down to start to brainstorm this, he asked me, you know, Nat, how come there's so much lip service given? How come companies talk about this, but why don't they do it? And that's really where the concept of empathy came from, was what we realized is if companies actually looked at experiences from the customer and the employee's point of view, they would see they're awful, right? And the studies show that most companies think they provide great experiences, but customers and employees don't agree. So what we saw was this idea of an empathetic musculature, did I get that right? <laughs> Yay. Would start with really taking a look at your experiences from this different point of view. And it's always struck me that a lot of companies think that it's just customer service that delivers experiences. And what I really love about the idea of transforming the whole organization is that if you could connect people that have the answers, not just customer service, because that's a lot to expect that customer service could answer all the questions customers have. But if you made it possible for customers to connect, it's very similar to the idea of Canadian geese when they fly together. They gain a 71% lift. And so when you're flying together in this kind of flock formation and you switch out the lead bird based on whatever the need is, you're really servicing that customer properly. And that's part of you know, the idea of creating this new organizational structure that would provide that ability for the person to talk to the person who really, really knows and make that experience really great. I also see that when I've done pilots like this, the employees learn a lot from talking to customers. And so there's an added benefit. It's not just the customer getting what they need and becoming loyal. It's the employees learning what the customer needs. And then that changes everything from engineering to finance to back office. It just makes sense. Very good. Well, Adrian, I wanted to ask you, in your article, you mentioned that the book tackles the barriers and blind spots that stand in the way of organizations delivering more empathetic experiences, both to customers and employees. What blind spots stood out to you? Uh, uh, how long have you got? <laughs> There's about 60 of them. Yeah. Oh, yeah, well, I can't remember now. Just the top couple. I'll tell you what, I'll give you, I'll give you three. Okay. So the first one, which is probably right at the very top, is this idea that most businesses design customer experiences with a business-first mindset rather than a customer-first mindset. And I, I think that's the thing, because it, 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 you can really kind of look, it really see the difference between that sort of the rhetoric. People talk about, oh, customers are really important, we're customer-first, and then they kind of like, they, they, they don't change the way they do things. There's a, an organizational psychologist and also systems advocate for systems thinking called John Seddon, Professor John Seddon here in the UK. And I had him on my own podcast and he said something brilliant, which sort of describes this, the, you know, this whole situation. And he said, you need to create a customer typology of demand, not an organizational typology of what you do with customer demand. That's brilliant. Yeah. That's really brilliant. Isn't it? You look yeah. at it and just go, <laughs> mind blown. Like, can I let, let me just go and sit in a dark room somewhere and just think about that for a while. I mean, it's like, if you apply that test, then probably 95% of businesses would fail it. 
I mean, because it's that stark, because we, we, we organize businesses in, in, in a certain way we have done for the last kind of century, and it's kind of hard to unpick that. So that was the first one, because I think that's the, the big challenge. And I think the customer empathy pods, what Natalie and Tony are talking about, start to speak to that and sort of you know, plot a path to how do we kind of change those things. And then the next one I wanted to share, which was stood out, which because I know it's something that's a bit of a bugbear for, for Natalie as well, is... It says, without financial accounting standards that include reliable, auditable customer slash employee relationship metrics, it's difficult to enter the new area of customer and or employee capitalism, which is brilliant. You're like going, where is your customer relationship? So where does your talent sit on the balance sheet? And you ask yourself, and then people talk about, you hear a CEO go like, oh yeah, our people are, are our most important asset. You're like, going, if that's true, where are they on the balance sheet? Mm-hmm. So existing financial accounting kind of uh, systems doesn't kind of like doesn't work in that in that sense, and we need to do something about that. So that's the one the one thing. And then final one, which is the I think is a I think this is the right word a doozy, and it goes back to that undercover boss thing is leaders who haven't dialed their one eight hundred number, used their IVR, navigated the website, or tried out their own chatbots or or SMS often miss how poorly designed the experience is from the customer's point of view. Absolutely right is that most people haven't taken their own money and almost been a customer of their own business to actually really understand what it's like. And that just creates that empathy gap that we talked about before. So those are just three of my favorites, apart from the list of 60. <laughs> That's right. Thank you. Um, you mentioned financial accounting standards. Um, Natalie, I know you have something to add when it comes to this. So what's interesting is, so I'll break it down really simple. Let's say you have no employees, then you have nobody to create products and services. And what if you had no customers? Then you'd have nobody to buy the products and services. And yet, neither are on the balance sheet. It's really fascinating, right? So if you look at the historical footprint from a century ago, businesses were based on efficiency, business efficiency, and based on producing products with little thought to the employee experience, which at the time was very dangerous factories and pollution and all kinds of things that happened, and very little effort put towards what the customer really wanted. Granted, there were many cool inventions like the Model T, so maybe people didn't know what they wanted until they were shown. But I think what's really key here is that when you start to look at a business through the customer employee lens, it changes everything from the decisions you make to the metrics you measure and to the technology you choose. And I think that it's really fascinating that without those two assets and really accounting for the value, I really feel like the evaluations that companies have, their reporting of revenue is not really true. However, it would take a huge change to our accounting principles, but I think, I think maybe it's time for something different to really account for the people part of the business that really make it or break it. Very good. You know, Adrian, you talked about the pods earlier, and it's, it's a big point in the book, company empathy pods. You mentioned the performance of these pods are exponentially enhanced when you layer in advanced technology, items like AI-enriched data. Can you elaborate on that? Sure. So, I mean, as I say, I, I love the idea of the kind of pods. I love the idea it's inspired by nature. We see it in other parts of people working together. And taking that sort of principle of kind of the Canadian geese flying in a V, we see it in cycling. When we talk about the peloton, people running in a train and they're all, you know, people take turns on the front to break the wind. And then there's a 30% kind of gain when you're riding in the, the slipstream of somebody. And so I think it's, there's, there's a lot that can be learned 
from nature. I think that, you know, if we kind of step back, I mean, we can talk about it exponentially enhanced by use of technology, because if, but if we go back to first principles and say, look, you can set up a customer empathy pod by getting a multidisciplinary team in a room with a phone or an email account or whatever, and they're all going to work together to kind of, as those things come in, they then decide who's the best person to kind of answer the kind of the, you know, the questions, as it were. That doesn't scale though. But when you layer in technology and then you start providing auto-suggesting kind of and providing kind of, you know, the routing things to the right sort of people and auto-suggesting kind of content or answers and you have a self-learning sort of technology, all that type of stuff, then you start to see kind of where you add organization with the right people and technology on the top, then you can start to see the exponential benefits. That's what I think is quite neat about it. Absolutely. You know, Natalie, you acknowledge in the book that these pods, they require complete cultural and as you put it, organizational restructuring away from siloed and functional departments at many organizations today. So can you tell us about this restructuring and what it will involve? And Adrian, you know, feel free to kick in your thoughts. So I, I had worked, um, I've worked in the uh, film industry and also uh, as an engineer at Hughes Electronics. And what I was envisioning was something very similar. We were building satellites and we had different departments, but just like you have a homeroom or a department, we would meet in the homeroom, kind of huddle up, figure out what you know goals were for our department. And then we would leave the homeroom and spend most of our day with an interdisciplinary team made up of people from different departments. And when we came together to solve problems real time, because we had everybody there in the room to talk about things, our projects were on time, within budget and scope. And it's a similar model that's used in the film industry when you bring actresses and directors and producers all together to be able to produce that film or that TV show. It's the same concept, except you do this within a corporation and changing that model of how we operate in silos. There's so much that's lost between like I was just on an email chain this morning and somebody had emailed somebody who emailed somebody who emailed somebody. And then that somebody realized that the email should go to me because I was the one running the program. And then everybody said, oh, thank God, Nat, for copying all of us because I could have just responded to the one person. But I responded to everybody because I'm like, okay, it's really clear if we all met, we could probably solve this pretty quickly. So it's just interesting to me, and, and I'm not saying anything negative about anybody. It's just we're so used to doing things a certain way. And we have a saying here at Genesis called One Genesis, and it's really about coming together as teams, multidisciplinary teams, and solving problems together. And that's I, I think that's what it's going to make possible to fly together in formation in this new way to be able to change really the whole construct and zeitgeist of customer and employee experience. Adrian. Yeah. Can I just make a point kind of there? It's the, the, so it's a story really. And it's about a story from a friend of mine, James, who is a big sort of data and sort of business improvement, continuous improvement guy. He, he works for kind of big organizations. And he says a really interesting thing to me because he's really interested in, you know, service and experience and how do you produce better outcomes and stuff. And he says, you know, what I've noticed over the course of my career and stuff, he says, probably somewhere in the, in the region of between 90 to 95% of all problems happen in the gaps between teams. Brilliant. I think, I mean, that's what happened to me this morning, right? I'm looking at this and I go back and I read all the emails from this person sent it to this person and forwarded it to this person. I'm like, okay, I see they're missing that and they don't understand this point. And then I was just like, okay, 
everybody who's on this email chain, I'm copying all once, right? And just saying, let me just give you context and let's meet and talk about this because everybody's input is valid and important. And I don't actually have an agenda or a priority, but I want everybody to be happy with the decision that gets made. And so I think, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's great. I mean, that's why I shared the story because I thought it kind of illustrated that kind of point, but it's, it is that sort of thing. It's a bit like, you know, again, you can use a sporting analogy. I think most people like watching the Olympics and the highlight of the Olympics is when they do the re big relay races at the end, like the four by 100 or the four by 400. And what's interesting, often it's not the team that has collectively the, the fastest runners that win the race, because it's not about having the fastest runners. It's about getting the baton round. And more often than not, most of the problems happen at the baton changeover. So it's the, you've actually got to be the team that is the best at getting the baton around the track. And it's not therefore about having the fastest kind of runners. And therefore the, the, the teams that then that, that perform at the highest level are the ones that come together and train and practice together rather than just going off and individually practicing their separate legs. Because actually what they realize is the handover is a critical kind of part. And I think what's, for me, it's incumbent on us to recognize is that the way that we've traditionally organized kind of businesses, yes, all of these skills have value in their specialism and in their depth of kind of knowledge, but they're better together and together more often than they are kind of operating in silos. So the more that we can smash people together in a common purpose sort of thing more often, then the more likely we're going to, we're going to produce those better outcomes and, and foster that, that, you know, that positive change. I love it. What a great analogy. Uh, it just really works. I love it. Thank you. Listen, my final question for both of you, are there any final thoughts, maybe things we didn't talk about that you'd love to get across uh, from the book, from your article? Adrian, I'll start with you. What Natalie and Tony acknowledge in the book is this going to take a big change. You know, this is a big hill that you're, the, you know, the organizations are going to have to climb. And it seems to me that you don't start big because you'll quickly get indigestion because this isn't going to be easy. You'll get heartburn from this. And then you'll be on the antacid sort of thing or whatever you take for it. And you'll back away from it. It'll be another sort of like failed big transformation sort of change kind of project. But I think what we have to do is you have to realize it's, it's going to be harder and it's a big change. But I think you have to make a commitment to changing and you have to start small and you have to commit to learn and to fail and to go again. And then you'll kind of take those steps towards succeeding, but all the while taking kind of people kind of with you because this is a long game. This is not a quick fix. This is a long game. And so recognize it's not for the faint hearted, which is another reason why you shouldn't buy the book is like, if you're not, if you're faint hearted, then don't buy the book because this is a long road, but there's big rewards for those people that, that make the journey. Very, very good. Natalie, any final thoughts? I think one of the most important things is that the leadership truly gets that leading this kind of change is different than leading day-to-day -day operations. And it requires, and I know a lot of people don't like the word organizational change, but there's a whole structure, if you do it well, around creating a massive transformative goal, if you take a look at the process of change momentum and create an education plan, like why, right? Really explain to employees, why are we doing this? What's the WIFM for them? And then helping them understand it, right? What's happened in the marketplace that's changed things, that makes it impossible not to do something like this. And then really getting people to contribute 
And I think also listening. So part of the empathy process we have for empathy pillars, listen, understand, and predict, act, and learn. And so we can talk about that as a technology process, but I think those four pillars are really important in the process of interacting with each other and also the process of leading. And oftentimes leading is an act of telling versus listening, understanding, and predicting, acting, and then taking all that feedback from the first three steps and learning from it. And then the last piece I would say is it's not just one loop, it's hundreds of thousands of loops in those empathy pillars to really produce the kind of results that we're talking about. Very good. How do our listeners get a hold of the book, Natalie? Well, they can go to our website, empathyinactionbook.com, or it's on sale on Amazon and our launch is coming up. Very good. Listen, it's been really, really fascinating having both of you on. A lot of fun. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. All right. I hope you enjoyed our conversation. Obviously, we could have gone on for hours. Stay tuned, though. We're going to continue this four-part podcast series with each episode featuring a different influential industry consultant. They're going to discuss sections of the book with Natalie and go over their key takeaways. We'll also be hosting a series of fireside chats that will feature Tony Bates and other key influencers. If you have any questions about our discussion today, don't hesitate to contact us. You can reach us via email at influencermarketing at genesis.com. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you'll join us as we continue this series on the book, Empathy in Action.